First up, a quick warning. This episode includes descriptions of birth trauma and loss. If you're dealing with issues around pregnancy, motherhood and trauma, please call Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia on 1300 726 306. Now, here's how to change a life. What I remember and that struck me the most is that when my dad took my mum to the hospital, he said to the midwives that not really concerned about the baby, but I really need this mother to be alive because there are three young children at home. Keep sharing those stories. You know, it's hard, it's confronting, it's challenging, but the story also has a power to turn somebody's life the better way. Have you ever felt like you don't have a say about where your own life is going? Whether it's someone else who's grabbed the reins or just the universe making life out of control, the past century of psychological science tells us our human minds hate feeling powerless. So how do you take the power back? I'm Mary Bolling and this is Seeker University podcast, How to Change a Life. And this episode, How an Unwanted Career Puts a Young Midwife on the Path to Her Passion When She Realizes the Power of Helping Others Get a Voice. Hi, I'm Sabi Kafley. I am currently a lecturer in public health at Central Queensland University. I'm also a mother of two children, originally born and grew up in Nepal, not my children, myself, then moved to Australia. 2002 on and off and then I started living here from 2009. Sabi's career in health starts in Nepal when she leaves her small village to study nursing but it's a frustrating time for the 16 year old. Growing up in Nepal as a girl in a middle class kind of family in a village we didn't have a choice in the start to be honest because um, most of our decisions are made by family so basically, I remember I really wanted to do um, clinical, you know, the doctor, the physician course. And I couldn't get onto that because I, I was just one percentage down in terms of my metrics. And then my family said, OK, so we should better put her in nursing. Sabi's struggling with not having a say in her future career. And at that time in Nepal, a nursing degree also includes midwifery and her confronting first placement just increases her sense of powerlessness. So I thought I wouldn't like it because I, I, just, I just think it's too hard for women to get pregnant, to give birth. And in those birthing suits, the women were crying and, you know, screaming. There were lots going on. I was only 16. And I just turned 17 when I was second year of my nursing. And I remember I came back to the hostel after my first placement. And then I sat there thinking, I'm a woman as well. And if this is what I all, you know, have to go in my life, and this is not what I really want to experience. And I thought I will quit nursing. Quitting is easier said than done, though. The school calls her brother and Sabi has to sit outside the room as he meets with her teachers, then comes out to tell her she's not going anywhere. Given no choice, Sabi has to persist and she starts to see how she can seize her purpose. I used to go home back in the village when I have university vacation. And um, 
And I went home with my new books, which I um, bought, saving my money. And I was quite proud of buying this, you know, book published in um, New York, I think, for the first time, having 700 pages book on my hand. So one of the my aunties in the village um, had a labor pain. So what happened that um, she gave a birth at home and her placenta is stuck inside. And my uncle came to call me seeking for some help. Like, okay, can you come and help? I, I just thought I wasn't confident. I was just doing my training at that point in time. So I quickly um, turned over the pages of my big textbook. And then I took some, you know, points of what's needs to be done. And I went there with my uncles and my aunties was in a dark room on her own struggling. And I tried those basic natural procedures without thinking of creating any harm. And I think it did help. Getting that experience of actually helping women starts to change Sabi's mind about the possibilities of her career. And seeing her auntie give birth in that dark room, she also realises the very real impacts of birthing traditions in Nepal. She's one of four siblings in her family, and Sabi was the only one born in a hospital. That hospital is two hours from her village, and before she was born premature, Sabi's father only made that trip to hospital after her mother had been bleeding for days. What I remember and that struck me the most is that when my dad took my mum to the hospital, he said to the midwives that, well, not really um, concerned about the baby, but I really need this mother to be alive because there are three young children at home. So those amazing midwives did the right things. I managed to, you know, keep my mum alive and as well as they kept myself alive so I can actually... Um, you know, pay back. That's how I feel. Connecting her own story to her career gives Sabi new purpose and a fresh direction to take her practice. When I started working as a midwife, because I work in regional hospital, not in the cities, that's where, the, you know, the most women come to hospital where come with the problems and complications. So most of them would stay home and give a birth. And when they come to the hospital, they are in very critical states, either for themselves or for the baby. In Nepal, the current infant mortality rate is 25 deaths per 1,000 live births. But back in the 1990s, when Sabi first starts working as a midwife, it is four times that at a horrifying 100 deaths. So Sabi says there has been gradual improvement. Although for comparison, Australia's rate is currently about 3.1 deaths per 1,000 live births. Even now, and especially back in the 90s, Sabi feels like there's a long way to go. And working in the labour ward, Sabi sees firsthand how risky childbirth can be. She recalls one friend coming to hospital to give birth to twins when complications hit hard. She needed the blood transfusion immediately. And I organized the blood. I organized the senior consultant to come. Um, and then, you know, off she goes to the um, theater because we didn't know whether she would come back alive or not. So I think after several hours in the theater, um, the doctor came and told us she was alive and her twins was also taken out alive. 
So that was not the end of the story. So she came uh, out from the theater, but that night I was in my own night shift in another ward. And after I kind of, you know, had a break from my um, own busy, chaotic labor ward, I think so I remember I probably had 12 mothers come to give birth at that night shift. I just went to see my friend. And I just went to see, I looked at her pulse. She was totally flat. She was pale. And I thought, oh, gosh, it's, it's something not good. It's something not good. So I, I just immediately called the doctor and she had to take him back to theater again. And, yeah, so luckily we were able to bring her life back again. Sabi says it's an amazing feeling knowing you personally have been responsible for saving a life. But at the same time, Sabi knows how many lives are being lost, you know, when you're not there or even when you are. And she wants to start preventing these life or death moments. She realizes that changing power dynamics and giving more women a voice could be the place to start. I observed, you know, social disparities in when I was growing up. We had caste system and compared to others in the village, we are kind of a little bit more privileged. And um, other villagers will come and greet our fathers and our uncles with so much respect. And I just wanted to understand why. So why some mothers are so powerless and why some people are taking too much power. I just thought that just doesn't sit right with me because no one has to be powerless. That's all I thought because everyone has a voice and everyone had a power to make a difference. Then I thought, oh, probably nursing is not the areas for me because I want to work with the disadvantaged group of populations. I want to give them um, choices, give them power, give them voices. For Sabi, making that decision means doing more study and she moves to Adelaide to do her master's. I came to Australia first in 2002 to do my master's in public health. And after I did my master's in public health, well, I got pregnant that time. After I finished all assignments, as I was pregnant, I went back home to give birth. My own personal experience of getting pregnant, um, giving birth, and experiencing the health system, the something the same was in both countries is, is that power and control and medicalization um, of birth or pregnancies because being a woman myself I think um, I became naturally a feminist I would say. Sabi starts working at UNICEF the United Nations Children's Fund and she's working there around caring for her young baby. The role includes setting up 24-hour birthing centres in remote areas of Nepal and South Asia and training hospital staff to provide better maternity care. She's passionate about the work, but it's still confronting. I had to go and run five days training in the district hospital. And um, that hospital was quite remote. That's the most remote um, uh, district in Nepal, in the mountains. But about midnight on that night, the local physicians came and knocked my door. And I thought, oh, what happened? And then he told me, like, okay, um, there is a woman came from the village in the hospital. She is 32 weeks pregnant, um, bleeding for the last three days, really pale. 
and I really don't know what to do. It took about a day and a half trek for them to bring that woman to the hospital, just on foot. And I just, you know, I just got out from bed and then went to the hospital with that physician. So there was a heavy snowfall. It started at the same time as well. And we were planning to um, refer that woman to the city because we didn't have blood transfusion and we didn't have cesarean sections. And we couldn't send women off to the um, hospital in the city as well because the snowfall was five feet high and the plane wasn't coming. And the woman actually died about mid-morning next day. I think that was the turning point for me that at that point of time, I thought, I can't do this stuff anymore. I really need to know how I can help these women in those villages in the mountains. This is just not working. And this is unfair to say that so many women are dying and so many are losing their babies. And I just thought, I need to know what other factors behind and how I can help them. Zabi throws herself into research, which forms her PhD. Studying at Flinders University, Zabi spends months living and researching in Nepal's remote mountains to understand how women give birth and how the health system can better provide support that works for them. I think the key findings was um, is women actually, they didn't want to make a long trip to the hospital, of course, when they are pregnant. One, it was simply not possible for them because they have other household responsibilities. The women are the one um, with responsibilities to find a food, cook for families, look after other kids and families. And simply in those villages, the food was the most um, critical issues because they can't grow anything. They don't get supplies. How to feed a family is the daily questions. That's for big responsibilities for women in the house. And the pregnancy wasn't a priority for them. So they get pregnant. It comes, it goes. If, if the luckiest one survive, the unluckiest one die. And that, that's how the life works there. And, and the, the second thing was that women didn't like um, for those uh, things. The women I spoke about, only 10% went to hospital when they had experience of complications. When it gone really bad in the last stage, they had to go to hospital. Um, they didn't have good experience of being at the hospital. They just didn't like it. You know, the environment was a strength to them. All clinical procedures was um, not what they wanted um, or they expected to happen. They, they felt more traumatized being in the hospital and they, they rather... Um, happy to stay home, keep birth, because they, their emotional safety is actually better at home. Emotional safety and cultural safety, these terms come up again and again in Sabi's research because she realises it's only when people feel safe that they're empowered to make good decisions for themselves. And Sabi's own experience having a baby and then having her second little girl during her PhD grows her empathy and reinforces her understanding. I actually like the choices women made because I knew that, you know, yes, yeah, services is important 
to survive. But I also knew that, well, it's not because when I was pregnant with my first child, I, I was also looking for that emotional safety. That's why I decided to go back to Nepal to give birth because I didn't have my mom or, you know, any, anyone else to support me here. So um, I felt for them. And you kind of find help is like, okay, what can be done? And I think to answer what can be done, what I kind of put together the proposal to the government after is that what we need is um, what women actually said is, well, like, okay, if there is a midwife or, or services in the village where they live, they would go. And that's the proposal I made to the government after um, using the results of my PhD is that, well, we need a remote mountain services and the midwife available in the village so women can access so they don't have to make a long trip, which it's simply impossible for them. Savi submits the PhD in 2012, not even six months after having her second little girl. Now, this rarely happens, but it is a straight pass, no revisions. Even better, the government adopts the recommendation and creates the program, not in every village, but in enough to start making a difference. Sabi hopes to do follow-up research on those village communities, but in the meantime, she's also writing a book about her experience in the mountains. So I think the book is, goes back to these stories uh, of those mountains because these women are always in my heart. No matter where I work, no matter where I go. Basically, it was so 2019 in Christmas, I think, um, I drove back to Adelaide because I go to Adelaide every year because that's I call that second home after Nepal. I have good friends and things. So when I drove back to Adelaide that year and then I met with my couple of my friends because we're talking about, you know, the PSD life and and that year I lost my mom as well, um, just, just suddenly. And I thought when I was driving back to Melbourne from Adelaide, that trip, I thought hmm, maybe I should write a book because I was still grieving for my mom and I was finding hard to cope. And I thought maybe writing a book, you know, putting my own voices that echoes me every day, Blending with the story of this woman probably helped me in terms of this grieving. That's what I thought. Sabi contacts a publisher with her proposal and signs a contract at the start of 2020. Yep, that 2020. She's living in Melbourne with her two school-aged daughters as the pandemic forces remote working and remote schooling for nearly six months of lockdown. But Sabi persists and has just submitted it to the publisher. And she persists because it's a chance to take some power in her own story and for so many other women. I feel oppressed and powerless myself now now and more often because, you know, I live in Western societies, but I come from other cultures. So um, people usually sympathise people. But, you know, when I'm working with those women and from my own experience, People don't like sympathy anymore because people want empathetic understanding and people want to be acknowledged and respected to their um, social context, how their life is happening. So I think for other people, you know, just to be an advocate for yourself or for others, 
And also, I think it's speak up that I would say to people, and there is no perfect way of doing things. So we, um, we live, we work, we learn from it. But what is important is that, you know, keep sharing those stories. You know, it's hard, it's confronting, it's challenging. But the story also has a power to, um, to turn somebody's life the better way. For more than two decades, psychology researchers have been talking about the psychology of our life stories. They argue the stories we tell about ourselves reveal ourselves, construct ourselves and sustain ourselves over our lives. Sabi's story could have been a life and career that she didn't want and that she was forced into, but instead she's turned her powerlessness into power and that's the advice she gives to anyone who feels stuck in their lives too. I think there is three P, um, that's I, I say in in my life from the start. In I think in every 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 stage of my life, is the passion, the purpose, and the persistence that keeps me going. And I always believe on those. You know, um, um, if you, you heard me my stories, and I still follow that. Because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the principle I get is, okay, if you have a passion and if you have a purpose for that passion and, and if you have a persistence um, to bring that passion alive, um, there is, um, you know, there is a way around it and you can do it. That's, that, that's, that's what I have learned from the start and that's what I believe that's Dr. Sabi Kafle, CQ University Public Health Lecturer, Mum and Passionate Advocate for the Voices of New Mothers. To explore CQ Uni's nursing and midwifery courses, visit cqu.edu.au slash nursing. And for public health options, it's cqu.edu.au slash public health. And again, if this episode has brought up issues for you around pregnancy or motherhood or trauma, please call Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia on 1300 726 306. You have been listening to How to Change a Life by CQ University Podcasts. Theme music is Wings by CQ University alumnus Tristan Barton. Check out more of his work at tristanbarton.com. If How to Change a Life has got you thinking about where you're headed, we'd love to hear. Follow CQ University across social media where you can see highlights from all our episodes. This is the final episode of How to Change a Life for this launch season and we've loved sharing it. If you've missed any episodes, there's plenty of amazing life changes to catch up on. Just subscribe to How to Change a Life in your podcast app to get past episodes and to be the first to hear when the next season lands in the second half of 2022. In the meantime, thank you for listening and thanks to all our guests this season who have shared so much of their stories. I'm Mary Bolling for CQ University Podcasts and once again, have a life-changing day.